Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture lesson for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we have heard your word, and we ask now that you would give us real ears to hear from you. Will you cause our hearts to be open to you? Will you Help us to lay our lives open before you for you to do your work in them. We're asking for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I am often asked... And sometimes it's by people from other churches, sometimes it's um, from other pastors, because pastors sit around talking about things like this, always looking for the, the next thing, what's working in your church, what, and so on. And so I'm often asked this question in one form or another. 
what discipleship program are you using? Now, down through the years of my ministry, I have been trained in a lot of different discipleship programs. They have a good intent, and that is to equip the church to make disciples because, after all, that is the goal of every Bible-believing church. It ought to be, and that is to make disciples. And so there would have been a time where when a friend or somebody asked me that question, I might have said, well, I'm using uh, navigators and, you know, uh, a little bit of crusade here and uh, Billy Hanks and, you know, and, and named various different things. What are you using? And that kind of a thing. But for many years now, my answer has been quite different from that. When asked, what discipleship program are you using, my answer is, we don't use a discipleship program. What? Aren't you interested in making disciples? Is, you know, what's going through their mind when you answer something like that. And then I go on to explain. Everything we do in the church is to make disciples. We have been committed to that for a long, long time here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And we are still committed to that. That everything we do, it's not a program, it's not you, you, you do this and then boom, you're a disciple, because it's a, it's a lifelong process. But rather, we are always about making disciples, growing disciples, and us growing to be more and more mature disciples. So, recently, as a staff, encouraged by the session, we basically, figuratively, got a table, this is figurative, but I'm describing it to you, and we put every ministry of the, the church on the table. Everything, we wrote down everything we do here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian, and it, it, you know, it's mind-boggling. If you think the launch magazine was mind-boggling, even trying to pull all that together. And then, figuratively, we went and pushed everything off the table. And then, figuratively, we began to put things back on the table and only put back on the table those things that we were confident move us toward making disciples. Now, out of that grew what, what we are calling uh, the disciple flow. One reason we call it a, a flow is because, uh, you know, if, if you do a chart or something like that, 
it, um, it implies that there can really be boxes and they can all be kind of separate. And that's what it looks like a little bit, but, but even the way we, we made the design there with the arrows kind of moving and hopefully gives you the feeling that, that it's not static, but what we are saying with those four areas, they are very broad areas. We're gonna be talking about each one of those this month. They are very broad, but they also overlap one another. Now, how you could put that in, in, in some kind of a, a visual, uh, we felt this was the best we could do with that. And so that's the idea. Uh, it came from the question, if we are uh, wanting to make disciples here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. First of all, what is a disciple? And if we're going to tell people that want to join the church and say, yes, I want that, how do we describe what an enfolded disciple looks like? And that's what you have before you. You've seen it already in the launch magazine. It's in there. And it says something along the lines, um, the launch magazine's gone, so I can't, can't really say what it says, but it, it says something along the lines of uh, an, an enfolded, what an enfolded member looks like. And that's where all of, of these are in there. So let me begin with the scriptural framework we're not going to be talking about, I'm not going to be preaching from Launch Magazine this month. That's a tool for you. As always, we are deriving what we do from God's Word. And if, if you still have your finger in the 1 Corinthians 12, keep it there. But I want to give you the framework that, that we're going to use for each of our messages uh, this month, and that is looking back at the early church, New Testament church. We believe the church goes all the way back to the first believers, Adam and Eve, but, but the New Testament church. And so we're looking in Acts chapter 2, and here is what it says. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So it, it speaks of the fellowship. That word, we usually don't say Greek words from the pulpit unless they're Greek words that we're going to recognize. Well, that is one of those that if you've been around uh, uh, churches at all, you've probably heard the term koinonia, that's what that word, it's, it's derived from koinos, which means common. The fellowship. That's what they devoted themselves to. In 1977, uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer uh, was in Chicago. He was promoting a film series he was doing at the time. Now, uh, Schaefer is one of the fathers of our denomination, and he was a pastor and then a, a, a world-renowned um, theologian and apologist for the, the faith. But he made a statement at that point 
that uh, to many was, was absolutely shocking. He said, unless the church changes its form and gets back to community and sharing the lives of lives personally, the church is done. Many saw Francis Schaeffer in a lot of the areas he was working in as a, a modern-day prophet in the sense of not foretelling uh, the future, but, but calling people to the dangers that are right ahead of us. And so there he was saying that, that we've got to get back to community. It's got to be, and when he says back to, he's referring back to the early church, the, the sharing of lives personally so that the church can't just be an institution uh, that people pop in and pop out and it's got uh, no influence on their lives, but it's got to be way more than that or, in his view, the church is done. So in the early church, in Acts, what did it look like? Down in chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. There was a real interaction. Now, the idea that they were together, that's amazing enough because they, the, the people in the early church would not have necessarily had all that much in common in terms of naturally gathering together. In fact, the people in that church in Jerusalem hadn't gathered together before that. Maybe some of them knew each other, but they, they weren't a part of something bigger, which we're calling the New Testament church. There, there wasn't necessarily something that naturally attracted them to one another. But it says they were together and they, they followed through uh, where there was a need, they met it. That was how the church was working. Now, there's a key element here, and that is that to be meeting these, these needs they had to know one another. They knew one another well enough that they knew one another's needs. And then there was love there to the degree that they said, there's a need. It's, it wasn't just we should fill that need. It was I got to sell something and go help them. That kind of a love for one another. So how did they know each other that well? And that's where the application from this passage begins for us uh, today uh, because uh, they were a group of at least 3,120. That's what I figure. There was 120 of the disciples that were waiting to get their instructions. And then on the day of Pentecost, what happened? 3,000 come to know the Lord. So, 3,120 give or take. Now, 
how are they going to know each other? Well, there's no way. They, would, they couldn't possibly know each other well enough to know about one another's needs and to be in one another's lives. But it says here that they broke bread in their homes and ate together. So what's that tell you? They were in smaller groups. They had to be. And if you're ever to know people here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian, you've got to be in a group smaller than this. That is just simply the case. Now, depending on your perspective, St. Andrew's uh, Presbyterian Church is either a big church or a small one. And by your perspective, I mean the church that you've come from if you were in a church prior to this one. Um, One of our children and his family go to this church. Our other three children all go to uh, much smaller PCA churches. When they come, when, uh, when their children are here, we're huge. And some of you feel that way or felt that way when you first got here. But we also have people that uh, when I, I meet them at the door or, or begin talking with them, they said, you know, we wanted to come to St. Andrews because we wanted to find a smaller church. Isn't that funny? Well, we're the same size. We're, you know, four or 500 people. And to some, that's going to feel like, ah, this is a nice small church because they came from something much bigger. And to others, it's going to be like, whoa, how can I ever find a place here. And some may even feel like, I don't even know if I will be needed here. And some, dare I say some of you, may be saying, I think this one's big enough to hide in. And some of you know exactly what I mean. So either way, whether you see it as a bigger or a smaller church, You can't know everyone in the church. I don't know everyone in the church to the degree that this is talking about. And that's one reason we are always in a community group. When uh, I'm on vacation or uh, when I've been on sabbatical, Connie and I enjoy going to, to other churches. Well, um, one of the, the times uh, we did that. It was when Abby was still with us, our youngest, and uh, she wanted to come to St. Andrews. We were in town, and uh, I was on sabbatical. I said, I ain't going with those people. No, I didn't say that. No. <laughs> no, I just said, here's an opportunity. Um, you guys go ahead to, to St. Andrews. And I went to uh, a church in another town. Now, I knew of the church. It's... Uh, uh, larger than us. It, it wasn't that long of a drive. I know the pastor, but he was the only one in the church that I knew. And I have to tell you, it was a lonely experience. I get that. 
I walked in and, and the ushers did what they were supposed to do, I, I guess. They handed me their, their you know, order of worship and, and uh, um, they, the ones that said usher uh, said hi. And I said, hi. And um, then I, I went into the sanctuary and until I spoke with the pastor that I already knew, uh, after the service, um, I, I, and I got there early, um, those were the last words I spoke. Now, I'm not rebuking that church, and that can happen here. Uh, in, in our church, I hear all the time how friendly people are when people come in. And that's, that's wonderful. I love hearing that. But I want us to understand that if we're not careful, we can get lost in a crowd, even in our size church. And all of us need to do our best to see that that does not happen. Now, in Acts 2, again, it says, together they were every day in homes. Uh, what does that sound, that's verse 46, what's that sound like to you? Uh, in, in terms of our ministries, if you're looking through Launch Magazine, you would probably say, hmm, that sounds like our community groups. And you would be right. Now, Paul had not written 1 Corinthians or Romans yet. Uh, the main reason he had not written them at, uh, when this portion of Acts was going on is because Paul wasn't even a Christian then. He was persecuting, about to persecute this church. But it wasn't too long before he came to know the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians and Romans, uh, he began to illustrate what the early church was doing in a way that people could understand. And in both of those places, and also in Ephesians, as we will see, he used a very simple illustration. We heard it earlier, the body. Now, if you try to think, I wonder why he would use the illustration of the body. I have a very complicated theory in terms of why he would use that, and here it is because everyone's got a body. So we get it, right? He didn't have to explain what a body is. And when he started talking about the body interacting and uh, using some irony and so on in that, and almost a comical picture of the body interacting with himself, anybody can understand that because we have eyes and ears and, and hands and and feet, and so on. So, back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the, mem uh, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, one body. So, he's saying, okay, I'm, we know what a body is, but I want you to think of the, the body in terms of that's how it works with the church, with Christ. Um, the Greek word he uses for body 
uh, here outside of the gospel is used 58 times, and Paul uses it the most because he liked that illustration, and it does. It makes sense. It helps us understand how the church is to function. He talks about uh, uh, members for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body. And some of your versions may say has many parts. And that's the idea. So it's talking about limbs or parts of the body. Um, and, and the implication is it's an organic relationship that, that we're, already, we're already related. It's just he's about to illustrate how silly it is to imply that we're not that there isn't a unity in the body. So let's take a look at what the illustration of the body tells us uh, about what God wants us to know. Um, first of all, there is what I'm calling a glorious diversity. Uh, verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. There it is again. And then he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit, 14, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. So there's the body. They're not all the same, not all the parts of the body. In fact, they're all different. And so when, when we use the term diversity... Our tendency is to think in terms of color of skin. And that's what diversity means. Well, that's one aspect of it, but that wasn't even what he was talking about here. In fact, he uses the phrase uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And it's kind of easy for us to skim over that and say, oh, Jews or Greeks, yeah, they were pretty much alike. They were all ancient people and, you know, slave or free. Okay, I get that. There's a little diversity there. And, and we don't realize, if we're, not, if we're not careful, we won't realize how radical his statement was here to talk about Jews and Greeks all being a part of the same body. They would have gone, what? Slaves are free. Wait, all being a part of the same body? So what would this sound like today? I thought of all kinds of illustrations. Let me just give you an idea of what it could sound like. Assuming that all these that I'm going to mention now come to Christ and deal with their sin, okay? They've repented, they've come to Christ, and that's what it means by uh, made to drink of one spirit. And then I stand up here and I say, some of you, were white supremacists. And some of you were with Antifa. But 
but you all drank of the same spirit. Some of you uh, were just, and maybe still are, hyper-conservative in, in your views, and some of you are hyper-progressive. But you're all in the same spirit that you drank of in Christ. Some of you have been on welfare, and some of you, because of your great your, your wealth, you're your watching the stock market every day, thinking about that, and, and others wouldn't have a clue. But you drank of the same spirit. That's what he's saying here. That's the diversity he's talking about. And he says, you are one. And then the encouragement is to act like it. And that's where he goes on with the, the idea of the body, and he talks about a necessary interdependence. A necessary interdependence. Verse 15 and, and following, and, and we won't read all that, but he, he says, if the foot should say, uh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And now he's got parts of the body talking to one another, which, which is, is great. And, and I can almost picture it. Um, I happen to think parts of my body talk to other parts of my body. <laughs> Many times they're arguing, okay? But, but that's what we have here. Or if, if the ear should, should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And I picture the eye, you know, when the ear says this to the eye that, um, you know, I'm not a part of the body, the eye says, what am I going to do to hold up my glasses if, you, if you're not here? I need you, okay? And, and that's, that's kind of the, the picture we get here. And so he, he's, he's illustrating it, and you can fill in your own illustrations that way, but it really can get ridiculous. And, and I think that's exactly what he wanted. I think he wanted people to say, what do you mean if the whole body was an eye? Come on, that's ridiculous. And yet sometimes the body might act like that. Oh, I wish everybody was more like, well, me. I wish they were more like me. It would be so much simpler here. And he says, it's ridiculous. How dysfunctional would a body be if it were all one part? Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. In a, in a Christian community, it's about a paragraph, but I'm going to explain it to you, so try to follow along. In a Christian community, everything depends upon whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. See, there's another illustration. Only when even the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. Okay? A community which allows unemployed, and by that he doesn't mean a job, he's saying unenfolded, people that are, are doing nothing within the body, uh, members to exist within it will perish because of them. It will be well, therefore, if every member receives a definite task to perform 
for the community that he may know in hours of doubt that he too is not useless and unusable. So when things get, get rough and you say, I don't even know if the church needs me, if you have a task, you say, oh, but who's going to do this? And it may be who's going to take care of the babies today if, if I don't do it. Who's going to lock the doors? Who's going to unlock? Who's on and on and on? Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. And that leads us to the, the third part of this illustration, that is respectful care for all its parts. He says in verse 22, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and so on. And so he's, he's emphasizing how we need, absolutely need one another in this. And over in Ephesians 4, it talks about how we're connected. You don't even need to turn there, but let me just read you one portion of that. Uh, he says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, there it is again, joined and held together, that's our word, connected, connected by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It only works when each part's doing its part. But that's the connect part. By our, our joints and ligaments, we are connected. So how's the body function? Well, let me, let me just give you a little way you can analyze. How do I know if I'm connected to the local body of Christ? How do I know if I'm connected to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. If, if you've come here, you've heard all this, and you said, yeah, I'd, if I'm going to stay here, I do need to, to get connected. Well, one way you know is you can say, I am a part of one or more connection group. Now, in the launch magazine, it's got several pages of connection group groups and connection events. And it's pretty easy to tell whether you're involved with any of those. So you can look that up. Am I a, a, a part of one or more connection group? And see, with, with our disciple flow, one reason we have those four areas is because it's possible to be doing really well in one area and not doing the others. Like we'll hear about worship, and, and you're here today. That's a part of that. But what about the serve, grow, and connect? Or someone may be growing because they go to Bible study after Bible study, but, but they aren't serving. And, and so this is a way where we can, we can look at that. But in terms of connection, here's another thing that you can know, whether I'm connected or not. If, if I speak of our church or my church rather than the church when I talk about St. Andrew's, Presbyterian church. Do I talk about my church? See, here's, 
Here, here's where Paul's illustration is there. Does anybody, when they're talking about their body, say, well, doctor, the body is doing this? No. My, my body. That's how we talk. Because I'm, I'm connected. I'm not outside of it. I'm inside of it. And that's what shows. And then a, a third characteristic is I find myself criticizing less and, and wanting to be more involved because I'm not on the outside looking in, but I'm on the inside. And you know, when you're on the inside, you tend to, to criticize less. When, you, when you're on the outside or you feel on the outside, you're, you, it's easier to point. And, and the old illustration is, uh, you know, a, a rowboat. You get people in the rowboat, well, if you're in the rowboat, you're not going to be standing up rocking it, right? If you're in. It's only those on the outside that may say, hey, you're doing it all wrong. You're not rowing right. But if, if you're in the rowboat, you're doing what you need to do in order to get to your destination. So, in terms of genuine connection... It is absolutely unique in our world. It is a, a unique thing that only the church can offer. It's not common to the world we live in. The, the world bullies those that are different. It casts them out. The church should be enfolding those that are different because of our common bond in Christ. And yes, we have diversity, but our bond is, is that, that ligament, that joint, is even tighter than how different we are. The world we live in isolates. You go to a waiting room and, and what happens when you sit in the waiting room in the doctor's office or the, you're waiting on your car to get worked on, everybody pulls out their cell phone and goes right into it. And you know what? Out, out in the waiting room, I even do that. Sometimes I even fake it. I'm not really even doing anything. I just... Yeah. Okay, you know. Somehow you feel like you relate, you know. But that's the world we live in. But instead of that, the, the church should be putting people together, and that's what we're trying to do. We're giving opportunity for that. We can't force anybody to that, but, but that's what happened. We, happens. We, we get together, and let me use our community group. We, we eat together. We look one another in the eyes. Nobody's getting out their cell phone to, you know, during, during our, while we're talking. Because in, instead of deliberately disconnecting, we are trying 
to connect. And when you eat with people week after week, when you pray with them, when you talk about the things of the Lord, a connection grows that simply cannot grow in other settings. And that includes worship and our growth classes. It's different in our connect groups. And the world we live in says, you can come join our club if you're worthy. And the church should say, none of us are worthy. Come. And the world says, suck it up and get in shape. Tough it out. Christ said, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I need connection for my own soul. All believers need connection if they are to be disciples. Let's bow together. Lord, once again, we simply ask you to apply it to our lives. We're all at different places, and that's okay. That's a part of our diversity. But help us to know what you want us to do next. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.